I had one lady tell me, he said, uh, you was asking how we could do things different around here this year. He, she said, I'd like to see his guys sing a lot more. She said, uh, we get a lot more out of that than we do your preaching. I said, okay, good deal. So I know where I'm at now, all right? That's good, though. She was just kidding, I hope. <laughs> all right, as the kids go to our children's church, man, what a great group going out this morning. Thank you, guys. Be turning to Acts 20 with me, all right? Acts 20. We're going to talk about sleeping in church this morning. So everybody stay awake, all right? Stay awake. No, our title this morning is, Are We Sleeping on the Church? And, uh, you know, we've been working our way through Acts. We're in the last third of it now. And Paul is making some of his final visits. Paul knows, through the guidance of the Spirit, what is about to happen. He's about to go back to Jerusalem, then he'll be sent to Rome. And it won't be long that Paul will lose his head for Christ. And he is going around to the churches that he is, he is really planted through these first, second, third missionary journeys. And he is, he is encouraging them. He's, he's preaching one last sermon to them. He's trying to disciple all those that will. He's trying to tell them to be strong because many are going to come and try to, to make you doubt. They're going to try to make you go another way away from Christ. And it is amazing. Here we are in 2015, and that's still the story. It's still the story to encourage the saints, to, to get them to, to be strong and, and to not grow weary in doing good. Because it can happen today. There's, there's so much in this world. There's so much in our private lives. There's so much that we battle through jobs and kids and work and family and finances and all those things. If we're not careful, that gets so much bigger than God in our life. And it makes it very difficult. And Paul's just trying to warn the people there, please don't, don't let this happen. And so let's dig right in, okay? Chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, if you was with us last Sunday night, we talked about that uproar. They had a big mob scene, and it was uh, very interesting. Uh, I, my, one of my favorite verses in that mob scene, you can read in 19 when you get time. It said half of them didn't know why they were there. So it was uh, just this mob. They were tr- really trying to do away with Paul. And uh, God was, what was happening was God was working in such a big way that some of these guys that were building idols and, and shaping idols out of, out of metal and things, their business was going down. Because when you see God, you don't need a false idol anymore. When you know God is Savior, you don't need all this other stuff to make you happy. You just take yourself to God and the Lord, and he makes you happy. And so it's, that's what's been going on. So the uproar ended. Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. Now, he wanted to take the boat ride, but at this time, the devil, I think, was was powering this. Paul was making such a difference for God and such a difference for the kingdom. And and he knew that, you know, we, we seen last night where even the demons knew Paul's name. They said, Christ we know and Paul we know, but we don't know who you are. But Paul was making such a difference for Christ that these people were, the devil was empowering them and, and, and they were just hating him. And it just breaks your heart that when God works, isn't it amazing that the devil always comes to work too? And that's what's going on here. Paul was going to sail to this next city. He's trying to get in as many visits as he could because he's feeling compelled to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what awaits him there. But he said, they said, don't go that way. They're going to they're they're attack your ship on the water and try to kill you. 
So he had to go another way. Verse 4. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Phyrus, from Berea, Aristarchus, and uh, Secondus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, and Timothy also, Thycus and Tromiaphus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now, he was hoping to meet one of his confidants there at Troas, but they didn't make it, and so he had to move on and continue on. But he stayed there for a while and waiting for that person to, to make that arrival. Now comes the story of Eutychus. Very, very interesting story. On the first day of the week, we came together, and you notice that Luke is writing Acts. The, Dr. Luke writes this, and he's went from using the pronoun us, and he goes to we, because Luke has now joined them. So he's there being an eyewitness. Sometimes he wrote down what he was told. Other times he witnessed it for himself. So now you see it changed to we. So Luke, Dr. Luke, is with them. And they come together on the first day of the week. You can kind of see a difference now from the Jewish customs until the new Christian church, the new way, so to speak. They, they call it the way with a capital W-A-Y. No longer did they worship on the Sabbath, but now they worship on the first day of the week, what they call the Lord's Day. That was the day that the Lord raised from the dead, and they began to meet, the early church began to meet on the first day of the week. Now, another interesting thing as I was reading about this is that they probably didn't have morning church because remember now, we're still in that transition period and the Sabbath is still the Sabbath. So that's the day they would have took off. So Monday, a Sunday to them would have been like any other day of the week to work and they would have went to work in the morning and worked all that day and then they would have had church at night. And we're going to see that as they talk about all the lanterns that's there and things of that like So Kind of, as we talk about Eutychus, we can give him a little bit of break because he has been working all day, all right? And we, let's look at it together. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Now, that would be the Lord's Supper, okay? They'd come together. Every time they would meet together, they would have the Lord's Supper. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Now, this was one of them longer sermons, all right? And it, it makes me feel better that somebody fell asleep on Paul, and so I feel okay, all right? If you sleep on Paul, then you can surely sleep on me. But uh, they fell asleep, and they were, he was preaching. Got, got carried away, but guys, think about this as, as we kind of laugh about that, but think about the, the compassion that Paul had for people. Paul knew, and he's going to say it later on in this chapter, guys. He's going to say, look, this is the last time you'll see me alive. This is the last time I'll be with you. And I'm telling you, you, you just think about this for a minute. What if you had one time, what if you had one shot to tell the people you love about God? What if you had one shot to tell someone you cared a lot about? What, how, how, how quick could you do that? Maybe it's the last time that you'll talk to your children. Maybe it's the last time that you'll talk to your loved ones or your people at church. And that's what Paul's dealing with here. This was his farewell address. He knew because the Spirit had been telling him and by the power of God, he knew that his days were numbered. And that's why this sermon went on and on. It's just like, there's so much here. It's so much here that you want people to know it. And you know that it can change their life. You know that it can make a difference in their life. And not only can it change their life, it can change their eternity. This family sitting right here this morning, they're hurting. But I'm telling you what, they know where Miss Gladys is this morning, amen? Y'all know where she's at. 
You know she's with the Lord. She, she gave testimony to that. Me and her have talked many times. She knew where she was headed. And guys, that's how we can make it. That's how we have hope through this, this hurt and through this hard day. Betty Martin's family the same way. She knew the Lord. That's how we make it through. And that's what Paul wanted these people to know. He knew that they would battle temptation and sin. He knew that the church would be pulled at and prodded at and poked at. He knew, and he was trying to just pour all his heart into these people before he left. Because he knew that, he said, this is my last chance. This is my last opportunity to share all that God has for you. And he'd been doing that on and off, you know, as he'd come through and and visit with them. But he knew this was the end. And so that's why this sermon went on and on. It It just speaks to my heart, his compassion. He kept on talking to midnight. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upstairs room there where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Now, you can kind of see some things here. If you do some word studies on the Greek and things, most people believe Eutychus was probably somewhere 8 to 14 years old. Others say that he could have been older, but as we look at the word study a little bit later, it's definitely that he was a younger boy. And also, the the word that's used for this this boy can also be translated as servant. So it's a very good chance that Eutychus had worked all day, and then he wanted to hear about God, so he had come to church. Now, again, it's at night, it's getting late, there's lots of lights on, and it's probably getting hot in there. Just like it's getting a little warm in here right now, all right? It's getting warm. And so, he's trying all he can. I, I remember when I was young... I, on my junior year, I had a job working all night at a truck stop washing dishes, Gary, of all things. And I guess that's why I hate to wash dishes to this day. But I would work from 10 o'clock at night till 5 in the morning. That would be on Friday night and Saturday night. Now, back in my day, uh, you didn't tell mom and dad you weren't going to church. You didn't ask them if you could stay home from church. You just know that when it got 10 o'clock, you're going to be in church, all right? And everybody say amen. You're going to be in church. And so, guys, it was tough, I'm telling you, because uh, it was a long night, a lot of dirty dishes, and you go, well, there's not many people in there at night, but, man, about 2 o'clock, all the folks from the clubs would show up, and, man, we'd get some good fights going on, there'd be all kind of things going on, but, but we would, and I'd go home, and then I'd go to church, and, man, I remember about 11.30, about 11.40, Dad's preaching, you know, and I know he's watching me, you know, because... Dad didn't have any problem saying, hey, boy, shut up, from the pulpit. And, man, you're talking about being embarrassed. So I didn't say a whole lot, all right? But here I am, a junior in high school, you know. I think I know it all, you know. But I'm sitting there going, and you can feel that going just, you know, you can feel that head start bobbing, you know. And, man, you'd wake up, and you'd move around, and you'd switch legs. And, and, and I can see that with Eutychus. He's, he, he's, he's tired. It's hot in there. There's a lot of people. Paul's been preaching, you know, four hours or so. And so he gets up in the window. He crawls up in the window to get some air blowing on him. He said, that'll keep me awake if I can get some air. And so he gets up, he gets up in, the, in the window, and he continues to listen to the preaching. Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, and he, you know, it says he's sinking. So this is not something where he just went to sleep. He's just kind of sinking into this, all right? But when he went sound asleep, He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Now, that would be something to remember. Don't fall asleep in church. Couple things. Don't set no end either. But the other thing is there's no apostles here, okay? 
because to be an apostle, you had to see Jesus alive. Paul was an apostle, all right? So stay awake. That's all I can tell you. Just stay awake, all right? Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Just a matter of fact. I mean, just think about that. This guy was dead. I mean, and if he's a younger boy, his mom and dad might have been there. I, I don't know, you know. But they're down there, and they've got him in his arms. He was picked up for dead. And, and it wasn't that he was knocked out or anything. He was dead. And Paul just, just by the power of God, just lays himself on the young man, just like they did earlier in the Bible in the Old Testament. And he lays in on that man and prays for him probably. And he said, don't worry, he's alive. And they just went back up and had church. You know, some of those old guys in the back, oh, man, I thought he was going to get to go home. He's going to go back and preach some more. He's going to keep preaching. He preached till past. Well, let's read it. Let's read it. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread. That's when they ate a potluck there, okay? After talking until daylight, he left. Man, now we get to go home. I, I hate the boy fell out of, the, out of the window, but he's alive, so we can go home. Paul said, hey, let's go on back up. I want to tell you some more, more things. But again, remember the compassion that Paul had for these folks. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, Paul moves from there on, and he, he, later on he'll meet with those folks uh, at Ephesus. We've been talking about Ephesus the last couple weeks. He had been training and raising up 12 men that would, would be the, the leaders there in that area after Paul would leave. And so now we get to Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. Remember that he's going from place to place telling them goodbye. He's going place to place and telling them what God wants to do for them and kind of give them a, a be on alert, be, be, be watching, be ready. So let's read. I'm going to read quite a bit here, all right? Verse 13, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made his arrangements because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Midland. The next day we set sail for there and arrived at Chios. The day after we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the providence of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Now, Paul wanted to be there for the Passover, but he realized that his personal wants, God's, God's needs, and God's people were bigger than that. He wanted to be there for the Passover. That was the, he was Jew. He, Paul was a Jew of the Jews. He was raised up as strong a Jew as you could imagine. And he wanted to be back for the Passover, a very important day for Jewish people. But he said, I, I won't make it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend time preaching and, and imparting the word but he said, I hope to make it there by the day of Pentecost, which would have been about 40, 50 days after, after that. It says, verse 17, and here he begins to talk about his past, the past and what he's done with these people. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Now, we read there earlier that he didn't go to Ephesus because you remember what happened last week. They were trying to kill him. And so he said, rather than going back to the providence of Asia, Rather than stirring those people up again, I want to talk to those people, but if I go back there and get caught up in some kind of legal thing or, or heaven forbid, they take my life, I'm not going to be able to do what God wants me to do. So I'm going to bypass them, but I'm going to send over to Ephesus for those disciples, and I'm going to ask them to meet me so that we can talk some more. And that's what's happening here. And he begins to talk to them. 
When you arrive, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. And, and listen to me, it's real easy to read this and say Paul's just bragging on himself. But Paul is trying to let them know this is how you need to live for the Lord. And, and Paul tried with all that he had. And Paul, you can read many verses in the New Testament that Paul wrote about he was a failure, how he wanted to do things but didn't and didn't do the things he wanted to do. Paul, Paul never thought of himself as, as, I've got it, I've arrived. But he also knew that there was things that he had done that God had asked him to do that he wanted people to, to learn from. And so here's what we, what we hear from Paul. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And it's almost like this. He's got these men sitting around him, and it's almost like you would say, guys, you know me. You, you know who I am. You, you know my heart. I have tried with all that I have to preach the word. I, I've tried to serve. I, I, I've been broken about things. I, I've, had, I've had you on my heart, and I've had all the churches of, of this area on my heart. And guys, I want you to be able to trust me. It, it's like he's saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to believe what I'm saying to you, because this is it. This is my last chance to talk to you. And guys, I, I hope as I talk to you, Paul says, I hope as I talk to you, I hope you can trust me. I hope you know what, where my heart is. I hope you know how much I love you. And I hope you know how important this is to me. And he's just kind of setting the stage. And he begins to talk about what's going on now. Verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit. And guys, that's a big sentence right there. And now compelled by the Spirit. I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. If you knew you might be killed at a place, would you try to avoid that place? I'm afraid I would. But not if you're following the Lord. Not if you're listening to the Lord's heart. Not if you're allowing the Spirit that lives in you to guide you and to guard you. And Paul says, now, compelled by the Spirit, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen there. But all I know is that God's asked me to go. And I got to go. I got to go. Guys, what faith is that? Amen? What faith is that? Is God asking you to do something? Is he asking you to do something that, that you would you'd say, I, there's no way. There's no way. And, and I, I doubt that God's asking any of you to go somewhere where you might lose your life. I doubt it. He may be asking you to go tell someone about the Lord in your family, one of your friends, one of your co-workers. He may be asking you to teach a class. He may be asking you to whatever, whatever it is. And guys, listen to me. As Paul is our example here, when the Holy Spirit compels us, we need to listen. And it's hard. It's like I told our kids this morning up in the teen class. We have two people in us. We have the God me and we have the me me, the me person. And them two fight each other all the time. Y'all know about that battle? 
They fight each other all the time. And I told them, hopefully, most of the time, the God me wins, the God person. But sadly, in my life, sometimes, a lot of times, the me person wins. Because I want what Todd wants. And God wants more for us. And so Paul, Paul that's, what he's, that's what he says over in Corinthians. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. That's what he's talking about. Those two button heads. He called it the carnal man and the spiritual man. It's the God person and the me person. And we are all about me. And Paul's not about me right here. However, I consider my life, listen to this. I know, uh, verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Every place he went on these missionary journeys, he knew that when he stepped foot in that city, the Holy Spirit told him that you're going to either face imprisonment, beatings, or death. He never stopped. That's amazing to me. He never stopped. Guys, do you realize how easily we wimp out for the Lord today? You realize how easily we wimp out for the Lord today? Man, I'm telling you, if the roads get wet, we stay home. You know? If it's 30 degrees, oh, it's too cold to go to church. I tell you what, ever since I've seen those knuckleheads up in Green Bay sitting out there in minus, minus 20 degree weather and watching a football game, I thought, I don't think I'll ever, I don't think I want to ever dismiss church anymore. But I know we do because people, people will come and fall and hurt themselves, and we don't want that. But guys, we wimp out. I look at Paul here, and he said, every town I knew I went into, I could either die or be beaten or be put in prison. And I went anyway. I wish I was stronger for the Lord. Amen. Verse 24, however I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My life means nothing. Man, we read that and we think, man, that's a, that's a great statement. That, that's a big statement, guys. Paul said, my life, it doesn't mean anything. But what God wants, that's what means something big what God wants. Russell, take us down the last two slides. There's a guy on the, on the page. I was looking at this verse this week and talking about falling asleep on the church. And there's a lot more to this chapter we'll get to tonight. I'm just running out of time. But, but I wanted just to look at these, these verses before we close today. And I put them in the message. The message is a translation that kind of puts it into modern-day language. Sometimes it kind of cuts through everything and just kind of throws it right in your face. But look at this. Be sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. Think about that. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. How many believe it's closer for God to come now than it was 20 years ago? Jesus. How many believe he could come any day? How come we're not doing more? 
The night is about over. And guys, listen to me. The night is over when we quit breathing. So even if the Lord tarries another thousand years, and he can, it's, it's, his, it's his call. Because his grace is great, he's not willing that any should perish. So he's going he's to wait as long as he possibly can so that all that want to know him can. But I believe as you look at the signs, you look at the things going on, I think we can all agree that it's getting close. But listen to me, even if he does, even if he tarries, when we close our eyes in death, it's over for us. There's no more we can do. But we get so busy and we, there's so much going on. Look at the next screen. There's the rest of that scripture. We can't afford to waste a minute. Must not squander these precious daylight hours and frivolity and, and indulgence and sleeping around and disposition and bickering and, and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. Boy, that's a call to get up, isn't it? And I, I believe that's, this is Paul writing to the Romans. This is, this is him writing kind of what he's telling these people, and it's just kind of you know, summarized. That's what he was telling the, the guys here as he, he talked to them, his final farewell, the, the disciples of Ephesus. He's telling them, guys, listen to me, you've got to be on your guard. We'll, we'll get into verses tonight where it says, there's wolves out there. If you've seen the new movie, American Sniper, his daddy told him there's three kinds of people. There's, there's sheep, there's wolves, and there's sheepdogs. The Lord has called us to be a sheepdog. The sheepdog takes care of the sheep. That's what he asked preachers to do. That's what he's asked anybody to do that knows him as Savior. Because the wolves will attack. The wolves are trying to tear our families apart, and they're trying to tear our kids apart. Sin is trying to rip our families apart at the seams. The wolves are out there. And guys, if we're just kind of laying around like a sheep, you know the sheep is the dumbest animal ever? It's kind of something that God compares us to sheep, you know? <laughs> kind of... Kind of offends me a little bit, but when I look at it, man, I go, okay, I see it, yeah, okay. But, but he asked us, first of all, to follow him because he's our great shepherd. But then he said, once you know, once you know the truth, get up and help people. There's people dying in our families. There's people dying in our churches. There's people dying in our work. There's people dying at our school that don't know Jesus. And he said, put on your clothes, quit laying around, because it's almost time for the alarm clock to go off, and we don't get a do-over. We don't get a do-over. And that's what Paul's trying to tell these young men there that come from Ephesus over to visit with him. He's trying to tell the churches as he goes around on his way back to Jerusalem, he don't know what's coming up there, he don't know what's going to face him, but he knows that the time is about over for him. He knows the alarm clock's about to go off, and he knows that he must tell everyone he possibly can about the love of Jesus Christ. That's what he's been commissioned to do. That's what he's been asked to do. And you know what, guys and gals? Not only was it Paul's job, it's everyone's job that knows the plan of salvation, that knows Jesus Christ, that knows how much he loves us. And we must not go asleep 
We must not fall asleep on the church because this is the haven of rest. This place is the haven of rest where we can all come in as one, where we can all come in with our spots and our blemishes and our pure stinking old sins, and we can sit down here as one, and we can worship a mighty God that wants to save every one of us, and he's not willing that any should perish. And of all the craziness out here, you can find peace and rest in here. And that's why he tells us to get along and to be unified and to love your brother and to to come together because the world needs a haven of rest and the church is it. Don't forsake coming here. Don't drift in and out because if you do, the wolves will pick you up out there and they'll drag you off. You heard Brother Gary said he'd been out one week. I know what he means. You miss one week. It's weird. It's not right. And when you go week after week after week and you don't miss the church and you don't miss the fellowship, guys, check your heart. Check your heart. Because it's rough out there. It's rough out there. And it's going to get rougher. But you know what? We have a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And he wants to take everyone in and love them. And give you hope and peace and rest. In a world that so desperately needs it. And guys, listen to me in closing. If we know where hope and peace and rest is, why wouldn't we want to share that with someone else out there that's fighting the fight? We see them every day at work. We see them every day in our family. And it's just got so big. Go back to that other screen real quick. What was that other, other first part? One more back, Russell, fit to go back. It says, don't let the world get bigger and bigger. It won't go back, will it? That's all right. That's all right. Don't let the world get bigger and bigger than you. Give your heart to Jesus. Let's bow together. Now, Father, we, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for men like Paul that were willing to go no matter what the cost. Lord, help us, help me. Lord, help me. Everybody has to pray for themselves, but Lord, help me to get to a spot where my life doesn't matter. Only the people that are around me, the people that I love and the people you love. Help me to grow stronger in you each day. Lord, I pray that for my brothers and sisters sitting in this room. I pray that if there's someone in this room this morning that has never given their heart to you, Lord, that they they would do that today. Lord, that they would help us, let them find their way, and we could lead them to the great shepherd. Lord, just speak to hearts this morning. Lord, comfort hearts that are hurting this morning. And Lord, just speak your word. In your name we pray.